Um, I'm going to get right into it because if I don't, then I won't uh, um, be able to get cover some good topics. How many are excited about science today? Uh, I, I hope you are. And, um, you know, there are a thousand answers that I could have put down here in all different fields. I could have spent all the time in geology and um, and uh, just gone through the fossil record piece by piece. I'm going to try to do the best I can. I'll probably have a lot of my focus today on some of quotes of Jesus, and I'll focus a little bit on the genetic structure um, of DNA, um, the DNA molecule, which is in every cell, and uh, just kind of paint a picture if the evolutionary story tells the story or if God tells the story. And uh, so I'm going to pray and then ask the Lord to, to speak to us. Father, I thank you of your power, for your mercies, Lord, that your word is, is uh, accurate, it's inspired, it's infallible. And um, I pray that you'd open up for our sake, that we can know who you are. And um, I pray that your grace would lead us, Lord, through the text. And, Lord, that we could put more hope and more confidence, Lord, that we're not a random accident. Lord, that we're, you've numbered our days, you're in control of our life. Lord, not like a controlling master, uh, but Lord, like a loving potter in his clay. Lord, who is shaping and forming things that are not just dead pottery, but living. Lord, that we are alive in your image and the beauty of it. I pray for those who doubt these things um, or need to be equipped with these things. Lord, that you'd open their eyes and their heart and their mind. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, I'm going to do my best here to, uh, to focus and concentrate. This whole topic here is something that I'm very passionate about. It's because I grew up as an atheist, and, there's, and I find Christians kind of um, moving over to atheistic answers. And I, and I sometimes wonder if they don't understand the whole implication um, of jumping onto the side of some of the either cosmology or um, uh, I, I think the uh, experts, the experts, um, as you go deeper into some things, are very biased and not as expert as you think that they are. Um, and, and I've heard some, I've probably heard 500 debates and, and probably multiple times, some of them I've listened to 20, 30 times. Uh, just to, and then I study the information, and I I don't do it just so I can be a good teacher or understand it. It's because I want to know it. I, I really do. I'm interested in it. I'm interested in how God made this world. And you'd be surprised how many of the top scientists, how many top scientists are actually uh, Christians. Now they don't have to be. It doesn't matter. When you look at nature and how it's made and how things are designed and formed and created. Um, we have the same facts. So if someone's an atheist and says we come from nothing, um, you know, and into a big bang and then some cosmic radiation and then all of a sudden, you know, you know, hydrogen and helium, you know, expand into some vast universe and stars and galaxies are slowly formed over billions of years. We sort of have a history of space um, out there to look at. Um, it's not like we don't have the same facts and the same math that we can't use. Um, but you'd be surprised how biased the math is. You can make the math do a lot of different things. And, and you think that there is so much math that we know because we have Einstein, you know. But 
can, can I tell you that they, they haven't touched the surface of the potential of mathematics and what it's capable of in the universe. You know, quantum physics in a, is in a very infant stage of what we know about it. You know, little, t little things like string theory and gravitational uh, uh, supergravity theory um, are, are things that are, are just kind of being thrown out there as, hey, maybe it's this and maybe it's that. Maybe we can come up with a theory of everything and kind of put Einsteinian physics, you know, in with uh, quantum physics and kind of combine it to one theory to sort of describe it. Well, and then I watch, uh, you know, Morgan Freeman in, on the Discovery Channel or something, and it says, you know, a ride through the black hole, you know, and then, and then it spews out all this stuff from all these theories that are just potential theories of what may and probably and most likely and probably definitely is not. In other words, a lot of these things are refuted things that we already know have no answer. But it's interesting. Maybe it is. And so the more you get down to the facts, and if you're going to be a scientist, then you want to have something that is factual, that has evidence, that's empir empirical, uh, that you can look at. So today I'm going to be talking about God and science, and um, I won't quote all the top Christian sciences, but scientists, but if you look at the discoveries of DNA, um, you look at the elasticity in stars, some of you guys know Guillermo. Um, Gonzalez Guillermo from um, The Privileged Planet, uh, Francis Collins from The DNA, um, you know, the founding of MRI, and, um, you know, our, our Christian scientists, astronomers, astrophysicists, geologists, who take a different slant, um, be, not because they're trying to make things fit the Bible, it's just that you're more free to look at the evidence in an objective way. You don't have to force it into there's a no God. Let's form the science to make it look like there's no God. And that's how um, evolution, uh, I believe, uh, forms itself. That's how it looks at the fossil record. It creates a storyline and a picture based on certain fossils that it wants to identify. It, it, it takes the fossils it has and draws little pictures of how each thing links to another. Um, but now we're in this information digital world where everything in the cell is known. You know, not everything, but it's, it's incredibly complicated and sophisticated, and the information is super um, um, specified that you don't just have a fossil, um, fossils just being birthed, but you actually have information. It's an information revolution. It's an information story that has to be told. And it's not enough, like I mentioned last week, just to wave your wand over any situation and say, well, how did the, how did the monkeys and man? Oh, it just evolution did it. No, you're going to have to show the genetic makeup of one thing going to another. And when I get into the depth of this, you'll understand why this is very impractical. How many are already over your head since we just started? I just thought of that. Okay, let's look at some scripture. Next one here. Let's get started. This is what the Lord says in Isaiah 44, 24. Your Redeemer, her formed, can everyone say you? He formed you in the womb. This is the kind of stuff that's at stake. Who did he form? He formed you. God is saying that he created you. He wove to you. The scientists in the evolutionary secular world um, not all of them, but many of them are saying, no, you're just a random act of uh, cellular functions that are just firing and misfiring, and the chemicals did whatever they did, and now you are a result of those chemical reactions. 
In fact, you know, your thoughts are just these chemicals moving around your existence and choice. Um, there's many scientists that will say that you don't have choice. You're just doing what your chemicals tell you what to do, um, which is consistent. But God says that he's the Lord who has made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens. When we think about that, that the heavens were stretched out. Remember, this is written thousands of years ago. And here you have this picture of God saying he stretched out the heavens. But you have all these years of science saying that we have a universe that's steady and not moving. But yet God says he stretched them out, that they're moving out, which is exactly what our universe is doing. The universe exactly is expanding into a hyperspace. Who said he spread out the earth by myself. He didn't think he needed any help. And, and I don't understand why people might not, why I would doubt that. Why would you doubt an unliving God who can do whatever he wants to do? If he's God, he can make man fully developed. Could he not? Right? Can God just go, bam, there is man? Or does God have to make some chemicals and then kind of wait for him, you know, and eventually it's going to come? You know, and, and, and we, we used to think that those chemicals were so simple, you know, that, that, you know, that, that they just became more and more and more complex. Well, you have to prove that. It's, you can't just assert that. You have to approve that. And, um, and it says, he stretches out the heavens and he hangs the earth on nothing. In other words, it's not connected to anything. Okay? Now, you have to ask yourself that question. Where did matter, space, energy, time come from? It either came from nothing, which is impersonal, or it came from something. I used that in my cosmological argument last week. It's either from non-intelligence or with no mind and no reason, or it came from intelligence with a mind and for a reason. And I'm telling you that God made you for a purpose and designed a world and a universe around you for that purpose. I believe that God loves what he made and that it was good, but that when he made man, he says, this is very good. He, in the Greek, it means very cool. I'm just kidding. But it sounds like that. It's very cool. So, um, so let's go to that biblical timeline. Here, here is the biblical timeline. Go ahead, put, the, put on the next one here. This is according to Jesus, that, that God makes people on day six. And there are arguments in the Christian world um, some who have embraced the evolutionary story with some modifications, which I don't, and I'll just tell you right at the top. I don't condemn those who do. They can be saved and all that. I just disagree with their position. And hopefully you don't... Um, well, I know it's okay to disagree with their position because in the New Testament they argued one another to fight for what was right and what was true. But there, there are things in there like it was morning and then there was evening the next day. You know, the Sabbath is work six days, rest the seventh. These are literal days. There are eris words rather than yom, which, are, which easily could have been put in there if they are meant to be thousands of years. I know that we are so indoctrinated, and so was I. I was raised this way, that it has to be multi-millions of years or billions of years, 4.5. You know, billion years. Maybe the earth was formed and the man maybe 100, 120 million that... that some primordial man, and I know churches around us who believe that, and that eventually, you know, Adam came around, and he's the first real man. Well, I don't believe that. I believe that God made man fully formed, 
And he made the animals. And here, and here he says, so if you look at that picture, you have at the very beginning, people on day six, creation. Can everyone just say, at the beginning? If you're not familiar with this position, then just, just flow with it and learn something, and then you can reject it later. People are there at the beginning of creation. Look what Jesus says. But from the beginning of creation. Can everyone say beginning? beginning. At the beginning, God created them male and female. At the beginning. We get all the way here where we got 4,000 years, 2,000 years, A.D. 30, Jesus starts speaking. And then you have now. And I love that picture that we had up there of the, you know, the southern Utah. And you, know, and you see those little wrinkles in the dirt. And it's like, and you see these wrinkles of the dirt on one side of the freeway, and then you get on the other side of the freeway, you see the same wrinkles of dirt. It looks like there was water up there. And it's amazing that you find seashells and fossils. They're all up there. What are they doing up there? Well, we evolved downward, whatever the story is. Uh, And put on the next one in the scripture. So I read the first one there, the one down there. So the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world. This is Jesus. Jesus seems to think that the, the foundation of the world, the prophets shed their blood. Romans 1.20, Paul says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, can everyone say, have been clearly perceived. In other words, back then, when they looked, they understood. When? Ever since the creation of the world. They created the world, and they noticed how amazing it was. Not that they created this world, and then billions and billions of years went by, and then finally at the end, then they go, wow, now we realize at the end of this thing, where this little fraction man is just at the end, he's unimportant, you know, it's the alligator and the shark, which haven't changed at all, according to the fossil record, are the same. You know, I love these, I love these things like the Willamette pine and gymnosperms, they're exactly the same as the fossil record as they, we have now. They're exactly the same. And it says, in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. And here's another thing. Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, God seems to think that death, and Paul thinks the same thing, that death came into the world through sin. In other words, when man sinned, death came into the world and brought death. In the evolutionary story, and even in some of the Christian evolutionary story, death has been going around for years. All we had was death all the way up to this point. And then man came in, and it was a good day, and then he, de- he deathed again. But God seems to think that the creation was cool. And then man came, and it was really cool. And then sin came, rebellion against God, rejection against God, self-legislation. And then all of a sudden, what happens? Sin causes death. And we find out now that the wages of sin is death. Praise be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, who he sent. Amen? So put on the next one. Here is the secular picture. Go ahead and put the next slide up there if you would. So this is the puts people at the end of creation. In other words, there's a self-creation, some kind of big bang or some kind of string theory implosion. 4.5 billion years or 15 point billion years. It's changed over a period of time as we try to expand the universe. And by the way, I do think our universe is that old. So you're going to ask me, well, how do you have an Earth 6,000 years old and an Earth, and a world universe that old? Well, I'm going to explain that. So people, and then earth comes into being, 
You get the genius Homo, 1.2 million years. That's when the, the first humans and Neanderthals. I mean, I wonder what they do if they find my skull. They're going to go, definitely Neanderthal. Then they're going to find Iras, right? And they're going to go, modern man. Right? Or we can reverse it. You know, he's slowly becoming me. You know? But, but, but then, at the end, then you get man in his present state. And people will say, and I got this quote, right, from a Christian evolutionary website. It says, Jesus didn't know as much science as we do today. And I thought to myself, are you kidding me? Jesus is walking around and going, I don't really understand science. I just understand morality. The fullness of the deity dwelt in him. Amen? Isn't this what the scripture points us to when it points us to Christ? Okay. Just getting started here. I'm having a good time. I wish I had three hours. I really do. I wish I had 10 hours. There'd be nobody left in here, but it'd be, we'd cover some killer stuff. I'm telling you. Because every one of these, the answers can get deeper and deeper and deeper, and then there's a point. And this is where it always happens in these atheist debates, where they get to this point, and they can't answer it. And it's kind of like, and all of a sudden, boom, and there it is. So what's your answer? Uh, well, we just don't know, but eventually we know that God didn't do it. You know, they, I call it atheism of the gaps. If there's a gap of information that we don't understand... There's got to be an atheist answer eventually. Well, I just challenge you, if you're an atheist like I was, what if you're wrong? What if the answer eventually is that an almighty, personal, powerful, purposeful God created, and you're not a cosmic accident. You're actually here in your design. I want to say amen. Okay, let me talk about this because in the, 19, in the early 1900s, it became evolutionary. Uh, this picture you can put on the next one became a reality, okay, of perceiving things. And basically, we started looking. There was Charles Lyell, who was Darwin's contemporary, who said, you know, he came, coined this phrase called uniformitarianism, which is basically the earth is slowly developing what it is. And so let's look at the things in operation, and then let's look at that replication, what's happening. And so... We look at the Grand Canyon and we see, we look at the fossils and we say, well, listen, either there was a lot of water in a short amount of time or there was a little trickle for billions of years. Well, if you're an evolutionist, what are you going to pick, right? You're going to have to ignore the chevrons. You're going to have to ignore the, ignore the coconut sandstone, which is all universe, which is the same kind of texture all along the, uh, the Grand Canyon. You're going to have to ignore the indents that are water indents, which dictate the speed. You're going to have to ignore what they call liquefaction or hydrologic sorting, which is, you know, when you get certain materials, certain materials that are heavier go down based on weight, and there's a bunch of things, and it starts to form um, different layers. And we have this, a great example of this in Mount St. Helens, where you have a small Grand Canyon, a 140th Grand Canyon, forming in about three days. Very amazing. Steve Austin is the one who discovered that. He's also a Christian. He's with the ICR, Institute of Creation Research. He's also the top um, dinosaur fossil finder in the world. Okay? 
He's found more fossils than any other scientist in the world. And he's a strong creationist. When Darwin came about, this was the picture of the cell. They were taking certain kinds of sheep and going, wow, this sheep's got a little bit more hair, so let's mate those sheep so we get a lot more hair, more haired sheep. It made sense. They already have the genetic information in there. Now, he didn't know anything about the genetic information. He just said something in this sheep is producing it, and something has produces more uh, fur or whatever, or hair, and whatever it is. <laughs> Wool. All right. All right. Sheep master. Not bad. <laughs> and there's another one that doesn't produce as much wool. And this wool, you know, they, you keep this one around and this one dies off. So natural selection, but this is artificial selection. We pick the one with the most wool. He didn't understand anything about the cells that made more wool. He just thought that the cell was, whatever was in that cell was making more wool. So this one lived and this one died. Okay. And that was artificial, artificial selection. He thought that happened in nature, that the strongest one, the strongest function would survive. And the one that didn't have the stronger cell or, uh, you know, makeup would die. Now, that doesn't help you in the way life began because you don't have selection because nothing's made. Right? So you can't so you have to come up with how these cells originated rather than saying here's two cells because I can look at the same thing and say these two animals and say God made them formed them exactly like this. What is your evidence that they little by little? And so you'd have to go to the fossil record and go, "Oh, look at this was a single cell and then it became that and then it became that and that's what the fossil record shows and here's the sheep finally." The problem is is the fossil record does not show that. And the more we've looked at the fossil record recently, more in the Mao Shishang Formation in southern Qingcheng, China, is basically we have fully developed things at the bottom of the fossil layer. Okay, We have full sponge embryos that have been preserved. We have trilobites that have full compounds lens eyes. We have different body plans. The genetic structure makes body plans. It doesn't just replicate the cell, but it coordinates things within the body and different puzzles like skeletal backbones and soft shell body types and like jellyfish. They're, they're different body types, a, t- a totally different DNA. You have to show that those happen step by step. The problem is at the bottom, we find everything. Not only that, but we find an ecology that we find things that were died first in the flood picture are down at the bottom. Fish, because of the eruption of the earth at the beginning of Noah's flood, are at the bottom. And we don't find fish up here. How come? Each one is supposed to be a snapshot of life. Do we only have fish down here and then there's no fish? No, I mean, well, fish didn't live during that period. And then you have to ask yourself, why do we have fossils at all? Right now, we almost have no fossils. It's a very rare thing every year that you have fossils. But somehow, we have a time period where we have billions of fossils. Now that, and, and the thing is, is that they're all forming all at once, like as if they were dragged there by water. And what would you expect? You know, if you expected a worldwide flood, you'd expect to find billions of dead things buried in rock layers, 
buried all over the earth, and it's exactly what you find. That's a quote by Ken Ham. Listen, Ernst Haeckel, he's also the one that drew the embryos that slowly formed into gills and became man, and he painted that picture. They were falsified pictures and proven incorrect. They're no longer in textbooks, except there's a few states that still have them. He thought the cell is a simple homogeneous globule of plasm. I put jello. That's what he thought. It was just a bunch of jello, and this jello is better than that jello. Listen, this is a small picture of the cell. There are U-joints and rotors and information that's being passed. You, You know, once the DNA has all its information, it's duplicating it through an RNA messenger, which is then transcripting that message so it knows what kind of protein to build, which goes to a ribosome processing, which folds the protein in a certain way and then gets released into your cell and functions. And every cell has thousands of proteins in it. How many want to take your Joe Weider protein powder now? Right? Everyone's going, yeah. Listen, all these different things, this is like the complexity of a galaxy. I'm showing you something that's neutral enough just to show you what's in the cell. You have to show how the information that's being passed is modified through an evolutionary picture. Good luck. Good luck. Because you're looking at some kind of random mutation that's going to put an incredibly sophisticated code, change its order, and then all of a sudden it's going to be more functional than it was before. Sure, that happens all the time. I worked in the software business, and those of you who work in the software business, we always would take software and just randomly move it somewhere else. And then we get more sophisticated. Not. All right. Next one. There is DNA in the cell. Let me give you a timeline on the left. In 4000 BC, God creates man with DNA in every cell. Can you prove that wrong? I saw Morgan Freeman on the Discovery Channel. I'm telling you, that's what happened. Man didn't invent DNA, they discovered DNA. They, then they discovered. In fact, here, Nisker there discovers DNA in 1869. He, he, he sees the nucleotide bases that go along the spine, but he doesn't know what they are. He calls them nucleus. And then in 1953, Watson and Crick, I listened to him last night just to refresh myself, they elucidate the, the, the structure of Dan, DNA, sorry. That's my typing error. And they saw the double helix. You see it right here. That these, this is, those bases at the top are a source of information. This purple thing right here is a sugar phosphate base the DNA base and the backbone are stuck together, okay? Just get that far. They're stuck together, and the bases are represented by four letters on both sides. You'll see that in a minute. And based on the information, and it's super sophisticated information, decides what kind of proteins will be built which is the building blocks of life and bacteria fighting and all kinds of stuff within your system. In fact, when it replicates wrong, it tries to kill itself. It's called um, apoptosis. 
And if it fails, it's called an immortal cell, and some of you are familiar with that. It's called cancer. That is the mechanism of evolution when mutations go bad. I don't think so. So let's look at this, the double helix, deoxyribonucleic acid. Genetic information flows one way, and DNA turns to the transcription RNA, which becomes protein. So this is Richard Dawkins. This is the famous evolutionist. He said, biology is the study of complicated things that, can you say, appear. They appear to be designed for a purpose, but they're not. We are saying they appear to be designed for a purpose because they are designed for a purpose. Okay? Go to the next one if you would. DNA is a large molecule consisting or composed of repeating subunits called nucleotides. That's these little parts right here. These little nucleotide bases are stuck there. Now, here's what you have to understand, and I put it here. The the chemical base is connected to the backbone, but they're between the bases. So these are the letters which make up the code. There is no chemical bond. Can you say it with me? No. There's no chemical bond, so there's no magnetism which makes them in order to make sense or have a language. But yet they have a language. So understand, there is no chemical connection, and the way that these bases, there's billions and billions of lines of code. And each, after you get a certain section, it becomes what they call a gene, and then it keeps going, and then you get another gene. And the smallest thing that we have that's self-replicating has 480 gene pairs. It's called a mycoplasma genitalium, and it, can't, it can replicate, but it's a parasite. So you're going to have to come up, evolutionist, with a picture of self-replication, amino acids in order, that somehow constitute first life. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to show you some pictures and statistics of putting the numbers in order. In other words, if we change that GA right there and move it over, chances are there's not going to be any function there. But what are the statistics? What are the real stats that say it? Now, if we said that every time you had a T and a G, it would automatically attract the T and an A, and the T and A would attract the A and G, then we'd say that there is a chemical bond. But I'm telling you, there's no chemical bond. So imagine a refrigerator with a bunch of chemical letters or those magnetic letters. And let's take all the magnetic letters off, and then I'm going to spell something. Then I'm going to leave a space, and I'm going to spell something more. Is there anything in the refrigerator that's making the, the letters have any order? Is there anything within the letter that's attracting the next letter? You guys, this is one of the strongest arguments for the existence of God. There is nothing putting this bits of information in order. Okay? We know that for the information is, it's stored in the DNA molecule. We know what it says because we can read it now more and more. What we don't know is where it came from. You can say, well, it came from the previous person, which came from the previous person, which came from the previous person. But you're going to have to come up with a picture where there's rocks and dirt and energy that you all of a sudden have amino acids that come in some kind of order to produce a protein, and then you're going to have to show me that that protein can self-replicate. And I'm telling you, I have studied this. There is no answer to this. 
And not only is there no answer, but you're going to find the ridiculousness of this. Okay, there is, there is Bill Gates. DNA is like a computer program, but far, far more advanced than any software ever created. DNA contains an exquisite digital code that's inscribed along the spine of the molecule. Now, look at this. I put go, extend, base, 90% more, and then you can imagine more code. Imagine that this code is way more sophisticated we're not talking about 100 people working for 20 years on Windows, Microsoft Windows, and they still have Windows 8. And Steve Jobs is gone. But, so there's nothing to copy anymore. <laughs> and and, and so, so think of the sophistication in here, okay, and then put, put on... Put on the next one here. Let's see where I caught up you. So we know where it's stored. We know what it does, but we don't know where it came from. Now ask yourself a question. Imagine that we had a bunch of software code along the DNA spine going strands and strands for miles and miles and miles. And each cell, every cell, millions of miles. Now imagine that if we took that code, if I took that code and I took that section of digital code, and I moved it somewhere else and dropped it in there, am I more likely to degrade the function that was in there or enhance it? What do you think? How many say degrade? Listen, I worked in the software business for a long, long time. And the software business is what keeps biology going. Because without mathematics and software engineering... Um, you couldn't do these things to figure out even what the cell does. You need intelligence and um, those mental gymnastics and the software just to figure out what's happening. The interesting thing is I think, I personally believe that the evolutionist theory has held back the cure for so many diseases because everything that they've studied is bottom-up. What is this thing trying to be evolutionary rather than understanding that God made things fully functional and it's been degraded through devolution, right? Uh, yes, we have better nutrition now so we can get a little bigger and a little stronger. Think of the first Adam. Think of what his genes were. You think he called 1-800-CONTACTS? What was he thinking when he was 325 walking around on the earth? You think he was going, I need sneakers. You don't think he invented things? That probably died in the flood, because I believe they did. Okay, put on the next one. Okay. Okay. So, this is good stuff. Okay. Uh, this is uh, research by Douglas Axe from Cambridge University. This is part of his doctoral dissertation. He decided to look at all the code that was written in there, and he took a simple protein, one of the simplest proteins, which was a strand of DNA information put in a row, and we know that there's nothing chemically that's putting them in a row, but the information's there. I just explained that. He said, let's look mathematically if we could take all those little little um, nucleotide bases, all the, that these nucleotide bases are those little pieces. Let's take each one of these nucleotide bases and let's put them in an order randomly to see what makes them function. So we'll put them in order and we'll change the order again. We'll change the order again and we'll see how many functional, potentially 
proteins that we can make out of this or non-functional proteins that we can make based on the order. That's scientifically empirical, correct? This has been like a seven-year project now. He found that the ratio of functional versus non-functional is 10 to the 70th power to 1. In other words, every order that you put in it, you're going to get one functional one versus 10 to the 70th power. Put on the next slide. You, you want to know how big that number is? Listen. 10 to the 39th power is the calculations by our mathematicians of the number of actions and reactions since the beginning of time. That's how many reactions and actually have 10 to the 39th power. If you want to take all the particles in the entire universe and say, how many are there? How many electrons and atoms and things are there in the entire universe? 10 to the 80th power. So we're talking about nucleotide bases that are 10 to the 70th power to 1. In other words, let's say you could just find a bunch of nucleotide bases and put them in order to try to make a protein. Are you more likely to make it or not make it? Not make it. Statistically, is it in your favor or is it pretty much a virtual zero? It'd be like me taking a needle, putting it somewhere in the universe, and I say, if you touch that needle, you have life. And you can pick anywhere you want in the universe. Are you more likely to find it or not find it? Not find it. This is the ratio. This is pure math that has put chemical, bio, uh, chemical engineers to on the run. I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've heard in debates this simple fact. Okay. So... Everyone say, where? where did the information come from? One more time, where, where? did the information come from? Did the information because we have information in this double helix. It's like a software code. It's like a Mozart sonata. It's made up of words and building blocks like a machine language more sophisticated than ours. We have computers working day and night just analyzing the structure of DNA and what it's saying. So where did this information came from? Randomness? It came from just natural selection, just keep picking the best one. You still have to give the origin because you don't have picking the best one when you don't have one, right? You have to show how the first one is, and I already told you that that mycoplasma genitalium is the smallest it could possibly be. So you have to come up with something that has 1 to 10 to the 70th power in order. Richard Dawkins in the movie uh, Expelled basically says, no, it's impossible, so you know what his answer is in the movie Expelled? What? We must have came from aliens. They had really sophisticated DNA. So Richard, where did their DNA come from? Um, from some other aliens. Okay, well, let me give you the cosmological argument. We live in a limited universe, and everything that begins to have exist has a cause. And there's entropy, so the universe couldn't have lived forever. So we can't go forever with infinite regression. In other words, the universe has a beginning. Einstein proved that. Okay, what is the cause of specified complexity information, the effect on our world? And I'm not talking about just information. We can do certain chemical reactions with mud and, and water and some chemicals, and we get a repetitive 
information, but it's not specified information. It's not like a novel. It's just replicating itself. That's like a mantra. It's not a message. Crystals do the same things. They naturally produce more information. They connect to each other, and they make snowflakes, or you can make crystals. They're just duplicated. It's not a message. It's not like I went to the store in the market. It's, hey, dude, 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 hey, dude. That's not a message. So we're talking about specified complexity. Now, let's go to Lyell and Darwin's method. And this is what they said. If you're trying to explain the past, you shouldn't invent exotic causes of the sort we've never seen in operation, but rather you should invoke causes that are known to produce the effect in, in question. In other words, we can't just explain it and go, evolution did it because we don't see evolution putting things in order with the chemical bases, and we don't see those chemical bases being put in order. So next slide... This is called the method of multiple competing hypothesis. In other words, we look at all the explanations, and we look at the best explanation for the cause and effect that we see, okay? And we judge it and defend it by our uniformed and repeated experiences to see if it's true. So let me ask you a question. Whenever, if you were to see a specified information in an order, let's try to figure out what the origin is. So we look at the clouds, and all of a sudden, we see Mother Teresa's face sort of pic picture up there, right? And then we go, gosh, I think it kind of looks at it, and someone else looks at it, and I go, no, it looks more like a turtle kind of swimming backwards, right? So, so wind and erosion are working. But then all of a sudden, we look, and there's, some, there's an airplane, but he's long gone now. But we see this thing, it says, eat at Joe's Market. What is the origin of this information? Because it's specified. Can everyone say intelligence? It comes from a mind. It's not that the pen and the paper have anything magical to them, right? There's nothing in the ink that makes the letters get in order. There's nothing about the paper that makes the letters in order. It's intelligence that takes the paper and writes words, and there's function. And so what is the cause that we see? If, if we are working on the game Warcraft and we say we need more functionality, what do we do? Do we hire people to blow on the code? Or do we hire, do we shake the computer? Do we take the code and go, go wherever you want? Or do we hire intelligence? How many say we hire intelligence? We hire intelligence so they can look at the design and the infrastructure. Okay, put on the next one. So who has ordered this information? Intelligence. And I love this. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed, learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, this was your good pleasure. I got about 10 more on my slides. I'm going to ask you a question. Do you want me to finish these up next week? Yes or no? How many say yes? How many say move on to something else? That's okay. I, I, know, it's, I know it's a little complicated. It's a little complicated. I agree. I'm, I'm just going to give you one more evidence in the cell. Here is one example of a cell. This one's called laminin. This is... An adhesion protein molecule. In other words, the DNA spit this out. This is the one chemical 
that holds all substances together. It's the glue. It's kind of like glue on general gravity, but it holds all chemicals together. It's the glue that persists and holds your cells together. Every component it holds together, that's what it is. Over all body structures it holds together. And I just go to Hebrews 1.3 is here. It says, The sun of the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by the power of his word. Let me, let me show you. So DNA spits out laminin, and I can give you 20 different amazing examples. I'm going to give you one because I think it's kind of cool. Put on the next slide. Here is the picture of laminin. <laughs> That, that, that's just a simple picture of laminin. And if you don't believe me, just go into your Google, type laminin, look what it says, and look where it is, and you'll see that they look like this. This is what it looks like. And it says, For by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. One last one, because I can't resist. I just can't resist. Okay? And this is the concept of irreducible complexity by Michael Behe. He's the one who made this famous. Okay? Um, and also the, the idea of uh, specificity. This is a bacteria flagellum, flagellum, 40 individual protein parts. Listen including a stator, a rotor, a drive shaft, U-joint, and propeller. Its microscopic outboard motor runs at an incredible 100,000 RPM that can stop on a microscopic quarter turn. It then shifts directions and starts spinning 100,000 RPM in the opposite direction. It's clearing out things in your E. coli. And guess what? You start eating too much hamburgers... It goes 15,000 like that. So you want, how many want your bacteria flagellum working full bore, right? And, and so look at the function of this. Michael Behe, the Christian scientist, biochemist, said that unless you have all the parts, it doesn't work. It doesn't work with this one. It doesn't work with that one. It doesn't work with... It has to have every component working. I love Ken Miller, who's from Brown's University, the evolutionist, wrote a big paper how it could. And what he wrote was, it started off as something really big, and then little by little decayed. Well, then you have to explain how that big thing got there with all its pieces. And it's really, if you listen to the debate, I'd, I'd love to play it for you. It's, I think it's hilarious. But listen, we are an amazing group of creatures. Amen. One last one. You think that's not made by design? Okay, here's a motorcycle I'm looking at. The 2013 Honda Fury or the Shadow, right? It's a 1312cc V-twinned engine, liquid-cooled chopper-style cruiser made with uniqueness, original frame. You see how you get this description? It's been put together. The complexity of this is nothing compared to the cell. This is a joke compared to the cell, what man has made. If you looked at this and thought there was some, you know, we got the tires and a river, then, then this happened, then come on. Somehow you just got to get real with yourself. 
look around in your life right now and ask yourself, am I here on purpose or am I a random accident? If, you're, if you are a random accident, then there's no good or evil because there's no one who determines good or evil, just you. So whatever you want to determine, you can. You really, your life has no meaning except anything that you want to apply to it, and that doesn't really mean anything. Not in the big picture. Or he accepted that I am fearfully and wonderly, wonderfully made. That God made my inmost parts. That I was woven together in the secret place. That all the days of my life were numbered by the Lord. Why don't you close your eyes? We'll finish with that awesome theory on the back. No, I guess not. Father, I thank you, first of all. And Lord, I know that this science is a, can be a little confusing. And I thank you if uh, you're willing to, uh, to listen. Just understand that there are people that need to hear this. So maybe if it's something or you feel like it's over your head and you're not following it, just be praying for others and try to learn what you can. But the Bible says that the creation declares the glory of God. So that in this creation, the de- and you think we're deep now? Wait another thousand years how deep we get. I know you guys all think that, uh, you know, Jesus is coming back in the next 15 minutes. But what if he doesn't? What if it takes a little longer? What if we break down the quantum physics? What if we break it down? You think we're eventually going to get an atheistic answer? Or are we going to get more declaring the power and wisdom and glory and insight and intelligence of the living, breathing God? And if you think that's amazing, he made you and designed you. 